Hey friends, this is Andy Storch, and I'm excited to announce that we are bringing the Talent Development Think Tank Conference back on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. Yes, you might remember we hosted this conference for the first time in January 2020, and it was a huge hit with everyone telling us it was the best conference they ever attended. And of course, we were looking forward to running it again in 2021 until the pandemic hit. That's when I launched the Talent Development Think Tank membership community, and that's been going strong since May of 2020. But I know how valuable it is to get people together in person, and that's why we are excited to be bringing the conference back again on February 22nd and 23rd in Sonoma, California. I'm committed to making this a highly engaging and interactive event where you can connect, learn, and grow together with other talent development professionals. This is going to be the best event out there in talent development, and I would love to see you there. If you want to find more information and get your tickets today, the website is tdtt.us conference. That's tdtt.us slash conference. I hope to see you there. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat with your host, Andy Storch. The show is dedicated to helping you develop the most important part of your organization, the people. If you are in HR or talent development, or you just want to learn how to get the best out of your people, then you are in the right place. Each week, Andy shares interviews with talent development professionals, thought leaders, and experts to share best practices, learn about the latest trends, and find out what has been successful in the world of talent development. This podcast is designed to give you what you need to be successful in the world of talent development. Now, here's your host, Andy Storch. Welcome to the Talent Development Hot Seat. I am your host, Andy Storch, and I'm so glad that you're joining me today for another interview that is going to bring you value and help you do your job better. And before I get into it, I just want to say I just got back from a long summer vacation. I took a five-week road trip with my family, my wife and kids. We actually traveled across 18 states, over 7,000 miles in our 2011 Honda Odyssey minivan, which I was just telling a story to a friend yesterday uh, about taking a, a five-week road trip across the country out to Oregon and back. And, and he was like, well, you flew, right? Or you took an RV, right? I'm like, no, we did it in a minivan, which shows you can kind of make anything work with the resources you have. We looked into RVs and we looked into other things, and this just seemed to be the right fit. It was the resource we had. We didn't have a huge budget for this trip, but we wanted to take some time off and travel and and spend some time together and show the country to the kids. And you know, since I run my own business, we have the luxury of being able to do that. Not necessarily always the money, but at least we make our own schedule and have the time, right? I noticed some interesting things that came up for me as I was planning this trip, and I'll do another episode about this later. One of them was, you know, do I have the right to do this? Should I be allowed to do this? What will people think of this? And will I, should I feel guilty about this? And what I realized, I had to build up the confidence that I can go do anything I want in my life and my business. I wrote the book, Own Your Career, Own Your Life, right? I get to own it and do what I want. And it doesn't matter what other people think about it. And I hope that you're taking that approach with your career. Obviously, you don't need to go take a five-week road trip. You may not be able to do that with the job you have, but you may be thinking about starting a new project or doing something a little bit outside your comfort zone, and you may not have the confidence, but I want to help you think about building the confidence to go out and do the things that you want to do and really show up as yourself, your true self at work and accelerate your career success. And I'm hoping the interview today is going to help you with that. My interview today is with a woman named Alisa DeVere. Alisa is a confidence crusader, neuro nerd and success equalizer who brings brain science based confidence as CEO of the American Confidence Institute and chair of the ERG Leadership Alliance. In 2020, Alisa became a TEDx and Boston best speaker as well as a seventh time best-selling author with her book, Confidence is a Choice, Real Science, Superhero Impact. Her work has been endorsed by thought leaders at Wharton, Harvard, MIT, Yale, UC Berkeley, the Air Force, and the list goes on and on and on. She works with companies and CEOs. She also works with a lot of ERG groups. And so in this interview, we talk about Elisa's background. We really dig into this topic of confidence. What is it? What does it mean to have confidence? Why should we want more confidence? What can we learn? 
from people. Uh, we talk about Elisa's book. We talk about the work she's done in HR and the background and how it relates to HR and talent development and how to give confidence to ourselves and give confidence to others inside our organizations. And then because she works a lot with ERGs, and I've heard from many of you that you're also doing a lot more work setting up and supporting employee resource groups or ERGs, I ask her, ask her as well about ERGs and what they are and how to help ERGs become more successful. And then... In the bonus round, because we do do a bonus round where I ask my guests more personal questions about their career, we talk about her career accomplishments and failures, the challenges she sees, the trends she's following. And normally I reserve that only for our talent development think tank community, but I am thinking more and more that I want to share those with all of you, whether you're in the community or not, because I want people to get access to all of this great content and be inspired and, and do better work, right? And be able to do great work. So you'll hear that as well. And on the note of the talent development think tank, of course, this episode and all of our podcast episodes are sponsored by the talent development think tank community. It is the number one community out there for learning and development, talent development professionals, organization development professionals to get together, to network, to learn, to grow, to share best practices and challenges and what's going on in the world of talent development. And in the talent development think tank community, we have a live call every Wednesday on Zoom. I often invite our guests from the podcast to come be guest speakers inside the community and lead a follow-on discussion from the podcast. So if you enjoy these interviews, you would really enjoy being a member of the Think Tank community because you get to talk with the guests that we've had on the show. Almost all of them you know, have been coming through. We also have open forum calls where we have open discussions about different topics. And as I'm recording this later today, we're having a call with Jess Omley, who was on the podcast recently to talk about taking a consultative approach to L&D. We also have a private Slack group where people can share questions, challenges, resources, and we're even hosting an in-person retreat coming up soon for those that want to come. So if you are looking for a place to build your network, learn more about what's going on in talent development, and you don't have something like that, it's time to get off the fence and come join us inside the Talent Development Think Tank. The website is talentdevelopmentthinktank.com, talentdevelopmentthinktank.com. You can get all the information there. You can find more. I post stuff on LinkedIn all the time about the things that we're doing and, of course, talk about it here on this podcast. The podcast is also sponsored by my book, Own Your Career, Own Your Life, which is available on Amazon, and I'm doing a lot of talks inside organizations now about the book and about how employees can go own their careers. And finally, the podcast is sponsored by Advantage Performance Group, the number one place and firm to go to when you want your leaders to lead better. They have tons of great learning programs, not to mention a lot of great free content that you can get your hands on to help you do your job better in talent development. And they also host our podcast website, which is talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. So you can go there and see all of our podcasts, get our top five trends report in talent development, and you can get access to all the free resources, blogs, webinars that they host. Uh, just a ton of great, valuable stuff. So talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. All right, thanks so much for listening to these. I know I went on a little bit longer today than I normally do in an intro, but I wanted to give you some insight on what's going on and uh, the things that I care about, I'm excited about, and I'm excited about you listening to this interview. So without further ado, here is my interview with a Alyssa DeVere, all about confidence. All right. I am joined now by Alyssa DeVere, who is a confidence expert and speaker, as well as an author of many books on the subject. Alyssa, welcome to the show. I'm thrilled to be here, Andy. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited to have you here. Uh, you know, We were connected by uh, mutual friends and had a great chat the other day. And I'm really excited to dive into this topic of confidence because I think it's a it's kind of a simple term that you know, everybody uses and thinks they know something about, right? But obviously, you know, from working with lots of people on this subject, writing books on it, that it can go a lot deeper. And especially for those of us who maybe didn't start out feeling like we didn't have much confidence or people don't feel like they have much confidence right now. And we're going to talk about how can people actually create or build more confidence for themselves. But before we get into all of that, I'd love to start with a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah. Well, you know, people are like, how do you get into the confidence business? It's the number one question I get, right? Confidently, right? Right. It's a strange, it's a strange industry, if you will. Uh, I'm a trained and accomplished marketing executive. I was a, a chief marketing officer for a number of companies in the early days um, of my career. And 
the thread that goes through that is I think it was because I had a fascination for human motivation, like what encouraged people to do things. And in marketing terms, you know, what makes somebody click something or decide to listen to that podcast or whatever, you know, what is that, the psychology behind it? At the time when I was kind of training um, to do that and, and subsequently professing it, brain science wasn't anything that we knew about, right? There it, nobody even had that term out there. Um, so what happened was as that started to bloom and I started kind of delving into that stuff, um, my son also had a very um, serious neurological condition diagnosed. And this was about 15 years ago now. And so I found myself um, asking a lot of questions to supposedly very confident, top of the food chain neurologist, and I was getting bogus answers. Um, in fact, the, the final straw I remember was walking into an office of, and I won't throw them under the bus as I would never do to anyone, but one of the top children's hospitals in the world, this was the head of neurology, and he was Googling stuff in front of us. And I thought, if he can do it, crying out loud, so can I. So, right. you know, that was the confident moment where as, as low as my confidence one is, was at that time, I was kind of like, you know what, mother fearlessness, let's just figure this out. Um, and that's where that convergence came. And I was like, I started figuring it out. And, and about three years later, um, HR.com actually approached me and said, we like some of the stuff that you're putting out there. And I was putting it out there just because people needed it and wanted it. It was just um, kind of like a blog about neuroscience. basically. It was a little blogging. I was doing some presentations. I was doing video casting. And, I, and then I wrote a book called Misinformed, which is an oldie, but a, a really proud one. It's very saucy, very angsty, but it's really fun. And for the right people, it really hits home. And that's the one HR.com, the leadership group grabbed and said, make this corporate friendly. Hmm. And um, that same person who approached me became my business partner at ACI, the co-founder. And the rest is, as they say, history. Wow. And what was that first book, Misinformed? Like, what was the gist of that? And, and what did you have to do to make that more corporate friendly? Well, the gist of it was the subtitle is Wake Up Wisdom for Women. And so it was very female focused and it was life focused. It wasn't necessarily just business. It has a chapter on career and business. But it was angsty and it is a little saucy. So fair warning if anyone gets their hands on that. I don't even know if it's still in print, quite frankly. Um, but it's a real favorite because it's very clever and, and very, um, very honest. It was, you know, kind of um, not written for any other purpose than me just expressing things that I have figured out and found and, and wanted to share. And, and then I started presenting it and people just really loved it. So I knew that there was a, a lump of content there that was important, but it had to be in a form that could pr proliferate. And at the time, because again, we're going back, oh gosh, at least 10 years, you know, social media wasn't really kicking in yet. So, right. you know, sharing books wasn't quite as easy, blogs and posts and things as it is today. So um, sure. that corporateness allowed me to get into the hr.com lane, which then blew it out. Yeah. And were you still working like a marketing job at that time and doing this blogging and books on the side or had you already committed to doing that as your own business and career? Uh, great, great um, observation because I had been a corporate person and an entrepreneur back into corporate for many, many years. So the thought of starting another business was a little painful at the time. And so I kept my corporate gig for a while and wean myself off. I had like a three-year plan and it was like every year, a third of the income was, I wanted to shift from corporate to entrepreneur kind of thing. And so, yeah, then finally had the plane take off, but in full transparency, um, since then have, you know, every now and then I'll take on a corporate marketing gig. I did it during the pandemic, just because speaking as you and I both know, wasn't what it used to be. Yep. <laughs> and it reminds me that, you know, I love working in teams, but I'm an entrepreneur and I move fast and I like to test and iterate and not all corporate cultures respect that. They say they do, but they don't really. So. Mm, yeah, it makes sense. Um, and I'm curious, one more question about that because it was hr.com and we, a lot of our listeners are in HR, talent development, learning and development. How did you then take the content from that saucy book for women about success and fit it more to the corporate HR audience? 
Well, that's where I put my product management and marketing hat back on. And I said, we got to test and we got to research. And so we spent about two years fully engaged in research studies for um, quantitative as well as qualitative. We interviewed hundreds of people. And I think I mentioned to you last time we spoke, we started with high performance athletes, both the professional and Olympic um, and, and high performance military and really trying to figure out how did they achieve those really extraordinary, you know, superhuman kind of levels of confidence. And that's where we started on the research and then broadened out from there. So we have a, a, still a treasure trove and we're still very committed. That's why we called it an institute because we wanted to be really science-based, but also mm. research data-based. Okay. And then how did this shift to talking so much about confidence? Well, the confidence was always that initial kind of thread, right? Like, I, you know, the, the misinformed really is about, you know, let's be real with people. And I think a lot of the things that I realized in hindsight is we get fed a diet of a lot of BS, you know, not just as women, but as people. And particularly on this thing of confidence and, you know, I'm going to call you out just because I love you so much. In the beginning, you said, you know, that we want to feel more confidence. Confidence isn't a feeling. Hmm. I mean, that right off the top of the bat, it's not a feeling. Well, let's, let's, let's go there. Cause I was, next question I was going to ask you is like, what is confidence? What does that mean? Yeah. Well, so definitionally, you know, from the dictionary, it's, it's when you have certainty about the truth of something. So, you know, Andy play along with me, if you will, today is what day of the week we're, we're recording on what day uh, you and I are recording this on Tuesday, June 29th. And I'm very confident of that. Okay. So is it possible in any way, shape or form that it's not Tuesday? Uh, yeah, it's possible. I mean, you know, I remember yesterday being Monday. I just looked at the calendar on my watch and it also says Tuesday, uh, but all of these things could be off and I could somehow remember differently. It's possible. Exactly. So while you said you were confident, one of the things the definition in the dictionaries don't put in is the magical word of enough, hmm. because even in everything that we scientifically look at, there's always a margin of error that we say, okay, we could be wrong, but we're okay with that possibility that I could yeah. be wrong. And so you're confident that it's Tuesday, knowing that yeah, there's still maybe a percentile, you know, a deviation on the end of the tail of the graph that says, well, it might be wrong, but it's okay. Yep. When we say that as it applies to something quantitative or specific, like the day of the week or the weather or the stock market or COVID or <laughs> anything, yeah. we can kind of rationalize that. But the question then is when we look at self-confidence and confidence in our personalities and persons, it really gets a little fuzzy. So at the Institute, we worked for about three years um, surveying and trying to figure this, this out you know, from a data perspective. And where it boiled down to was the certainty about who we want to be. And that's a reflection of our values, our needs and our wants. And so if there's something that you really want, and I'll use your own story, you know, when you made the decision that you were gonna crush cancer, mm. right? That was because it was a value to you. It's because it's something you wanted. And yeah. you're very clear about that. As far as I can tell in reading your stuff, right? You are absolutely like, I'm just going to do this because it's important to me. Right. People who don't prioritize that, who don't feel that value, they're certain to me, you know, that's where the confidence kind of wanes is when you're not certain, when you're not certain mm -hmm. enough, then you don't have, you can't motivate yourself. Now, neurologically, we can go into the brain science, but it maps directly to the way our brains function, that when we look at confidence with those definitions, it really boils down to a decision. It's a decision of certainty. Mm. Yes, it's Tuesday. Yes, I'm gonna kill confidence. I'm gonna kill cancer. So that it is a decision at the core of it. It mm. is a decision and it's a decision that yes, this is important to me. Yeah, so what I'm thinking about is, you know, when we're looking at situations, there are like fact-based situations like, it's a fact that today is Tuesday. You know, we are recording a podcast. My name is Andy. Your name is Alisa. Alisa. We have these facts and we can be 99.9999% of it. But a lot of what we're talking about is more relative or subjective or like, you know, there's a lot more uncertainty. Like I was very confident I was going to be cancer. 
because of the type of cancer I had and all the research I did and all of the things I did to make sure that I beat it. The supplements I take, what I changed with my diet, my mindset, all the things I did, there's still a lot of uncertainty, right? You don't really know what's going to happen, but I chose to be very confident and optimistic that I was going to beat it. Other people could take a different tact, right? And be scared and, and not think they're going to make it. And I personally believe that that just that mindset and that personal belief has a lot to do with how successful you are in beating cancer or disease or anything, right? Getting a promotion, anything else. So is that part of what you talk about with, with it, confidence? It's everything I talk about. I mean, you made the statement, I chose to be confident. The mm. name of my current book is confidence is a choice. It is a decision. Mm. It's a choice. And when you do make the choice, just making the choice itself is confidence inducing. Yeah. That's right. You're right. And you like, I'm choosing to go forward with this and I'm going to go after this, whatever it is. And so I'm building my own confidence in doing this. So as we talk about what confidence is like, so what does it mean then to have confidence? Is that kind of that certainty that I'm going to be successful in what I'm you know, setting out to do? Well, when we study people who are identifiably confident, Right. I mean, I can ask anybody, you know, what, do, what does a confident person do or look like? Everybody knows it. We have a sixth sense. We recognize it. We're attracted to it. We have mirror neuron receptivity to it. So we know what it is implicitly. We also know what it's not. We can see the opposite. We know when people are, and I don't use the word insecure in this context, when people are not confident, mm. right? Generally not confident. We can see it. They have certain tells, body and language and other things lists are long, we have them all documented. But what we know about particularly high performance people, people who don't hesitate to take risks, to learn from failure, who are more apt to choose, as you say, the high road, they are consciously doing that. They go, yeah, you know, I don't know all the outcomes. I don't know all the ramifications of this, this but I'm certain enough that I we'll get to where I want to be. And if it's a matter of more effort or more research or more vitamins, or I will figure it out. Mm. So I'm choosing that path in a conscious way. A lot of people, Andy, and this is one of the BS factors I mentioned before, you know, people think that you're either confident or not, you're born that way, mm. or they're going to read a book. And, and here's the thing, you know, one of the things that I love about your message you're not telling people be like you, right? Like there's a lot right. of people out there that want to, you know, tell you their hero story and then have you vicariously all of a sudden be, you know, overcome some travesty that you're going through. Does our brains don't work that way. Yeah. In fact, I think it backfires more often than it helps. Right. I go to a, a conference. I speak all the time, like you do, and you hear these people on stage. And sometimes even I find myself walking away going, I'm such a loser comparatively. Right. That's not motivating. Right. <laughs> deprecating. <laughs> so, so I think, you know, one of the things we have to um, teach our kids ourselves is that you have a choice. You can take on, and again, we'll use not a metaphor here, but literally your example as a metaphor, I can take on whatever my cancer, my challenge, my issue is, I can take yeah. it on or I can let it roll over me. Mm. And that's, that's where confidence lives in that decision. But there, you know, you talk a lot about how confidence can be learned and you can figure this stuff out, right? But there, there must be something innate, right? That some people tend to show up or, or be more confident in certain areas from the beginning, right? And I'm just thinking of this kind of vulnerable example, right? But going back to high school, I was interested in girls, but terrified to talk to girls, right? And then I see other guys that you know, boys, whatever, just walk up to girls and ask them out on a date. No problem. And I'm like, how do you do that? I, you know, same thing when I tried to get into sales for the first time, so terrified to knock on people's door or call them and ask them for a sale. Cause I was always so afraid of rejection. Whereas other people can just pick up the phone and not worry about it. So where does that come from? Well, I would make the argument that it is more circumstantial, more nurture than nature, you know, that we all start out actually equally confident. We all tend to lose it at about age 16 hmm. for the sole reason of we wake up and realize that there's all these social rules and, and uh, kind of regulations, if you will, about how we're supposed to behave. And it is all centered around, and you said it again, magically here is this, this fear of rejection. Hmm. And when I teach all my classes, we talk about the three fears of confident that trigger confidence crises and it's fear of 
failure, fear of regret and fear of rejection. And uh, rejection is the biggie. So yes, when you're 16 years old, you're terrified of being rejected. Um, actually girls more than boys, believe it or not. I shouldn't say believe it or not. People are, the women are gone, of course, right? Yeah. Um, but um, we see girls actually lose about 50% of their confidence at that age as a result. Boys only about 30%. But I think the people that have that brashness, that courage, courageousness, the confidence, whatever you want to call it at that age, either have learned at an early age that it's okay to say, have somebody say, no, you'll just move on and ask the next, you know, my, my brother-in-law who is a sales guy taught me one of the most valuable lessons. And I joke, cause he's probably the least wise person I know, but he, um, he says to me one day, he goes, you know, sales is all about numbers. You have 10 leads. One of them's going to say yes. So, you know, all, up until the ninth person, you'd be like, thank you so much. I'm getting closer to the next. Right. right. And he learned that attitude as a sales guy, you know, much later in life. I, I think that that's the same thing with the, the guys or the gals or anyone in between that probably has that brashness to be able to, Hey, go out with me. And the person says no. And they're like, okay, thanks. I'm going to the next one. Right. Yeah. It's an attitude. It's not, it's not a gene. <laughs> what about, what about this whole idea of like, you know, there's a lot of people walking around with, with sort of false confidence, right? They seem confident, but they're really not. I think about, you know, we're talking about high school, right? The bullies who walk around so confident, like they have it all together. And then inside they're terrified of what everybody thinks of them. And that's why they become a bully. You know, there's a lot of like, and that, and that there's different examples of that throughout life, you know, that someone may show up acting confident in sales, but inside they're terrified. Like, what about that? Oh my gosh. You said high school. All we talk about is adult bullying, like smartest person in the room, somebody who's cocky, confident, uh, bitchy, condescending one uppers, one downers. I mean, you don't have to be a kid to do that. Right. We, right. we get to a point in our lives. Where we're almost like blind to it. We're deaf to it. We don't even notice it. Mm. And we do it to each other every single day. Uh, we do it to, we do it to others. Others do it to us. Um, it's just pervasive. It may be a little bit more visible at a younger age because it's a, it's just not as common, I guess. I don't know. I, I can't really speculate on that, but it happens in every single meeting. Every single time I talk to somebody, I like have this mental checklist. I'm like, oh, they just did it again. It's a little bit of that adult bullying and adult can bullying. You, can you give a couple examples of that? Like how adult um, bullying happens in meetings? Okay. Like, so how many times a day do you meet somebody and they've got to tell you how many books they've written, how many podcasts they've been on, how many TED Talks they've been, you know, you, you name it. Yeah. I, my favorite bullying, actually my, my favorite, I have a lot of pet peeves, so forgive me, Andy. We, we use pet peeves very productively in the Institute, so I collect yeah. them as a habit. Okay. But how many times have people said, you, you actually almost did it in the beginning to me, do you know so-and-so's work or have you read so-and-so's book? And you sit there and you go, I don't know who the hell that is. And you make that decision. Should I tell them honestly, I don't know who it is or go, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure, sure. Right. right? You mentioned Gary V's work. I'm like, I happen to know him. I'm a marketing chick. You right. kind of can't know Gary V if you're in that space. Right. But I love it when people make that face to me of you haven't read him. Right. That's an adult bullying tactic. Yeah. Now, is it intentional? No, it's that person trying to say that to themselves, oh my God, I have one up on Alyssa who used to impress me, mm. right? It's taking it down a notch. Sure. But friend and family factor is something I wrote about back in Misinformed. If you know somebody, they can't possibly be as good as the rest of the world thinks they are. Like my, you know, your father or mother is the CEO of General Motors. Yeah, but they're just mom. Right? right. So we also belittle everybody we know around us because we know if we know them and it, it's related to us in some way, shape or form, it possibly can't be that good. So isn't that, isn't that actually belittling yourself? Because they're like, well, if they're friends with me or related to me, they can't be that great. Right. Because you know what? I'm not that great. Right. right? Yes, absolutely. But it is also, you know, it's not what I would call traditional bullying, but it has the same neurological stem, which is I'm going to try and put somebody else down a notch so I feel better about myself. Yeah. COVID-19 pandemic and 2020 changed everything in business and talent development. Almost overnight, companies were forced to figure out how to engage their employees remotely and run their development programs virtually. Luckily, Advantage Performance Group has been running a webinar series and releasing free resources throughout the last year and beyond. 
Advantage is a proud sponsor of the Talent Development Hot Seat. It's known for creating, learning, and consulting solutions that equip individuals, teams, and organizations to be the best at what they do. Advantage helps leaders lead, sellers sell, and businesses flourish. To join our webinar series and find more of our free resources, just head on over to AdvantagePerformance.com. That's AdvantagePerformance.com. Quick, quick context. You mentioned Gary Vee. Before we started recording, you and I were chatting about writing books, and I asked you if you knew who Gary Vaynerchuk was, Gary Vee, and you said, yes, of course. There are a lot of people that may not. Some people listening to this may not know. He's sort of a famous internet marketer, if you will. He runs a branding and marketing agency out of New York with a thousand employees. And anyway, I, if you hadn't, I would have just said, oh, well, he is this, and let me tell you why. But I can see a lot of other people saying, oh my gosh, I can't believe you don't know who he is, which immediately, when you say something like that, the other person feels like, well, crap, am I supposed to? Like, why? And, and you feel bad, right? Same thing with like, oh, you haven't seen that movie, I, which has happened to me many times in my in my life or my career. So we are, we're kind of bullying other people when we, we put that on others and make them feel bad for not having known about something or seen something or whatever, right? Always. I mean, and again, I have 4,000 examples of adult bullying. I mean, how many times you've been maybe in a meeting or even just talking to somebody and you make a statement about, you know, it's 92 degrees out today. Wow. It's hot. And somebody goes, actually, it's 93. <laughs> I've done, really? that. I've done really? that. Okay. Yeah. So make me feel really good about, you know, whatever, you know, I'm glad my and, wife's not here because she'd be like, he does that to me all the time. Yeah. My husband does that to me all the time too. And I look at him, I go, we must listen to, we must read different weather reports for that. <laughs> right? Like who cares? Like really seriously, but in a business yeah. meeting, you know, you're with your peers, you're with your boss or whatever. It really makes you feel two inches tall. Right. So yeah. think about that next time, not you personally, but anyone's listening, you know, that happens to you. The defense is, okay, that person's having the confidence crisis. They're the ones who are not feeling confident. They have to make me feel less than, yeah, number yeah. one. And number two is, I'm not going to let them. I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to throw it back. I'm just going to say, well, perhaps you have a different source of data than I do. Hmm. Just say something that acknowledges you heard what they said, because bullies want to be heard. That's number one rule, right? And here we go into bully training, but we do a lot of this as part of the Confidence Institute. And at the same time, recognize that your confidence and your persona, your values, your core is not being really criticized. It's that person who just needs to feel better about themselves. So, you know what? Feel good about yourself. I feel good about myself too. You be you, I do me. I would really like to hopefully, and maybe you can even admit to this, once you recognize these things and you stop doing those to other people, mm -hmm. Dude, that's where it's all about, right? We have to be the role models. I don't care if you are an official confidence crus a crusader like myself, but we all are in the business of confidence crusading. If we mm. want to make this place a better place, we have to give confidence before we take it. Yeah, we're all in the business of confidence crusading. And, and I like that, you know, something I've said or been a fan of is that if you want other people to stop judging you, you need to first stop judging others, right? So if you want people to stop bullying you, you got to stop doing this things to others and let people be heard. Um, something else you said in there that I think you said quickly is really important in, I would think, building confidence and just being comfortable and confident in your own life, which is you do you and I'll do me, right? So much of our challenges and issues and confidence issues in life come down to comparison, right? And looking at what other people are doing and feeling like they somehow have it more figured out than us, even though we're all on different journeys, right? And you can do you and I'll do me. Like we're both authors. We're both doing different things with our books and our brands. We can learn from each other. But we don't have to try to be the other person or feel bad because the other person is doing something that we're not. You got it. You got it. You know, I end my TED talk. I end all my books, all my emails with thank you for bringing more confidence for the world to the world, because I do believe we all have that responsibility. We obviously all have the choice. We haven't been taught properly. So we need to teach each other how to do it. But I also you know, people say to me, what's, you know, how do you become more confident? And it's a longer answer than just bullet, 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 bullet. But when you start to realize that giving confidence is the greatest vitamin to getting more, you know, if you can make somebody else feel good about themselves, it's a superpower that you have, I have, we all have. I know it sounds almost a little like flighty, especially coming out of somebody who writes about neuroscience, but you know what? 
neurologically speaking, when I enable you to be a better podcaster or a better author, it's not a zero sum game. It's, it, you know, you do better, you, it, it, the universe or whatever may thank me later, but reality is I know that I just did something that's empowering to somebody else. And I'm going to take that as a win for the day. That's how I feed my confidence, not by putting Andy down, but actually lifting him up. I love that abundance mindset, right? And, and supporting and helping others will help support us. So I want to get into the kind of the corporate angle here, but we talked a lot about like, what is confidence and how do we, you know, a little bit about where that comes from. And you mentioned one way to build confidence or create confidence is by giving, creating confidence for others, right? One thing I've learned is by specifically going out of my way to pay a lot of compliments to others, it makes me feel better and somehow makes me feel better about myself. And I somehow end up receiving more as well, right? It's almost like magic that when we seek to help others and compliment others and boost others up, that that, that starts coming back to us. What other things can we do to create more confidence for ourselves? Well, we teach at the Institute, and this is something I'm really proud of. We, we developed a coaching program years ago, and it's ICF certified, SHRM certified, all that good stuff. And originally, I thought, you know, this is a really powerful way for anyone who does coaching to really get quickly to the matter of what's the confidence issue that this person is wrestling with. Um, you know, I think typical coaching is is really helpful for the right people with the right coaches, but often takes a really long time. We don't have time anymore, right? Like you got to get to it right away. We kind of knew scientifically how to do that. What was amazing to me, Andy, is what was flocking into the classes were people who were managers, who were, you know, just HR people who wanted to be able to help managers. And, and then a lot of people who weren't even in the workforce, they were just interested in being better people, better parents, better citizens. And so we've taken that class, we still offer it. It's a very popular um, um, course. You can get certified and get all the credit you want and all that's all great. But we've taken that and actually showed people how to self-coach and then also coach in a business environment when you're not the official coach. And the core of that is really simple. And it goes back to the definition we talked about earlier is if I tell you how to fish, <laughs> right? I'm not giving you the confidence to be able to figure out how to fish yourself, right? So if you're wrestling with an issue, my job is to be a thought partner and help you think through options, help you think through what you can and want to do. My, my job is to help you be accountable to that. But if I tell you the answer, if I micromanage you, I actually take away confidence. I don't give it to you. So the coaching process, if you will, it, it, you know, you don't even need to know the formal process. We have like literally a playbook and questions, but anytime somebody's asking for help or you're trying to help somebody take a better position than figuring it out for them and help them enable them to figure it out for themselves. Because when they do that, that confidence in them stays forever. And this is like one of the biggest challenges and most valuable thing we can do as parents as well. I have two kids is doing something for them versus pushing them to do it themselves and biting our tongues while we watch them fail because we build confidence from doing things through experience, right? Experiencing it for ourselves and doing it and failing and trying again and making mistakes and then ultimately succeeding. That's how I build confidence and I want to do that for them. And that's how we can help others around us, colleagues and, and people on our team as well, right? Yeah, you know, I think there's a difference between like kind of saying, figure it out for yourself, just go off and leave me alone versus I'm going to help you figure this out, right? And having the questions, asking them questions so they can think it through, so they have a process by which they can critically think, right? My husband's a fifth grade teacher. We talk about this all the time. You know, if you literally set rules and you say, this is how you do it, this is how you don't do it, yeah, good. You push somebody out and be like, go figure it out yourself. They will possibly come back very scarred, maybe even traumatized. But if you're there to help them think about what's the, how are we going to do this? Like, what do you think is the best way? What are different ways you could do this? You know, interestingly, when I decided to do this, my own podcast again, you know, that's not my first one, as I mentioned to you earlier, Yeah, I was kind of like, eh, I don't know if I really want to do it. I know how much work goes into it, this, that, and the other. And I called up a friend of mine who's been trained in our methodology. And I was like, you know what? I need you to think partner this with me through. 
do I really want to do this? And if so, how am I going to do it in a way that really represents what's important to me? And so, you know, yeah, I could read a hundred blogs. I could study your podcast and like figure it out on my own. But what was really helpful about kind of going through that coaching and coaching is kind of like, a, unfortunately, a dirty word these days, but going through that thought process about what I really wanted to do and how I wanted to do it. When I emerged from that being like, this is what I want to do. Oh my God. It was so much more magical than hiring a consultant to tell me just in my own, you know, it's a very close, immediate example, but you can apply that to anything. My, my son is applying to grad, applied to grad school. He's got going to grad school. Now he's got to figure out how to pay for it. And I said to him, we're not paying for this. Not because we can't, because I don't want to, like you're 22 years old. Mm -hmm. You got to figure this out. He was on the systems yesterday, wrestling with all the loan stuff. And I sat down and I did exactly that methodology figured out by the end of the day, he walked in this morning. I kid you not. He's his mom. I'm so proud of myself for being able to do this. Mm. I'm like, Oh, rock and roll. You know, you don't have to be a superhero in a a, a cape. You can just be a, a confidence coach and really show some power there. Love it. So we talked about parenting and helping people around us. Most of the audience for the show is learning and development, talent development professionals looking to help grow and enable uh, the workforce, right? And help people grow in their careers. And part of that could be growing their confidence so that they can be more successful, whatever that means for them, right? So how can we help people more broadly in our organization build more confidence in, in at least the job that they're doing? How can talent development build other people's confidence, not their right. own, right? Right. Okay. Yep. Well, first of all, don't forget to be human. <laughs> you know, that that is one of my um, my callings to everyone, but talent development, I, I do a lot of coaching for people who are trying to change a career, get a new job, you know, everything from the talent acquisition systems to the hiring process interviews and everything. We know it's notoriously not human. And if you really want to give people confidence, if you confidence, you want them to be productive, you want them to be engaged, you got to be human. You know, you can't pass a compliment. I mean, yeah, you can use a recognition system to do it, but it means a whole lot more if you see somebody's eyeballs and be like, Andy, you, you just rocked my world, right? So we can't forget to be human. And in that old adage of like, you know, with do unto others, right? Like what would I want for, if I were looking for a job or submitting a resume or, or being interviewed or being recognized, what would I want? And applying that now, I, I will say to you, you know, the platinum rule is respect what other people want too. Absolutely. You have to absolutely do that. But just in terms of that humanity, I think, you know, do a little filter check on, is this really what I would want on the other side of that email or system message? And I think that takes us a long way down the path to, to getting the kind of people that we want to work with and be with. Yeah. It starts off with being human and thinking about where other people are coming from, where they want to go, right? And then when you work with organizations or companies come to you, and I know you do a lot of speaking, but if they want to do something that is really going to start changing behaviors and helping people with confidence, is it come down to training programs, knowledge? Like how, how can we do this at, at scale if someone wanted to try to do that? Sure. Well, you know, obviously awareness has got to be the first place. If there's no will, there's no way either. So like, don't force it down people's throats. It's got to be something they want to do. Um, I did a lot of work over the last few years with this very large international bank. And, you know, one of the things we talk about all the time is they offer these training classes and it's, you know, whoever wants to sign up and come and go. And then when they go through and they get the knowledge and then we can go into coaching, we can do a lot with them. But if you're going to force people, I don't care if it's a keynote or a workshop, you make people come or they happen to be there and they're kind of there against not necessarily their free will. There's no way to change the brain, let alone the behavior. So first and foremost, make it something that is, well, I say optional, but you know, free will that they're coming because they want to be there. Second of all, don't make it a one-shot thing, right? Like a training, I don't care if it's bias training or how to do a spreadsheet or how to be more confident. It doesn't matter what kind of training, a single shot does never, it just doesn't do it. So whether it's multiple shots of training, training plus coaching, training plus some kind of accountability mentoring, but it's gotta be reinforced and you gotta give people that ability to get that continual endorphin drip. Otherwise the behavior never changed. Yeah, makes sense. Absolutely. 
I wanted to ask you quickly about ERGs as well and, and how this fits in, because I know you work with a lot of companies and employee resource groups. And we did an episode on ERGs a little while back and ran a call in the talent development think tank community that I run on ERGs. And what I found is that you know companies are all over the place on this. And while some have things kind of dialed in with multiple groups, many others are just figuring this out right now. So because you have such expertise in this area, I wanted to ask you, you know, what is, what is an employee resource group and why is this important? And, you know, what does it take to help ERGs be successful? What kind of, what's kind of your philosophy approach to ERGs? Oh, cool. Thank you for asking that. So uh, as I was continually called into ERGs to present confidence stuff, what I really noticed was the intention of these groups and ERGs is the most common label, but they could be um, business resource groups, BRGs, affinity groups, employee networks, there's a whole other different vocabulary around it, but they all basically have the same um, intention, which is to provide confidence to those employees of that same type. And they're not always aligned by diversity type. So yes, there usually is a women's, Hispanic, Black, LGBT, you know, there's kind of these predictable diversity aligned groups. But then we find ERGs that are linen arts groups or Toastmasters. Some of the companies and I say companies, organizations look at that as an ERG, common people, common goal, common struggles, common language, you know, it has the same parameters. We have Bible study groups. We have all different types of groups. And, and again, we could do a whole episode, obviously, on this. Um, the organization that I founded um, in 2019, the ERG Leadership Alliance, is the largest association of these groups. And one of the things that we hear over and over and over again is, like you said, there could be in the same industry with companies of the same size, complete discrepancy between their maturity level of their ERGs or not. ERGs have been around for 40 years. So, you know, you have banking um, groups that have had them for 40 years and they're very mature, very well established, international. And then you have a bank the same size, the same even location for that matter, and not so much. But they've become, I would go so far to say, possibly one of the top issues that employees are looking for now as proof of diversity. So if you're not doing them or you're not doing them well and everybody can do them better, uh, yeah, check out ERG Leadership Alliance for no other reason that we have a ton of free stuff for your events almost every week. And we bring together best practices of people in all the different walks of life from different shapes and sizes of organizations. But yeah, really, really important. Um, and I think the, the, the irony in this, Andy, is that the ERGs are there to give employees confidence, yet these organizations are not giving the leaders confidence on how to do them well. So that's the gap that I wanted to fill. Okay. Yeah. And I was going to ask you, you know, for companies that are starting to set up some ERGs for the first time or want to grow their ERG program, what are a couple of keys to success to make sure that they're, they are successful and don't just kind of end up being this thing that's over there that, you know, is not really getting much attention or, or traction? Well, the obvious key to success is don't just say it, fund them. Hmm. <clears throat> you know, you can tap somebody on the shoulder in HR and be like, start up ERGs. That's very nice. But if you don't give them money and the resources to do it, <clears throat> all bets are off. And the resources are money for sure. Does it have to be millions? No, but it has to be enough. You know, we have some ERGs, we, we ran a symposia um, right before COVID and we had a panel and one of the, one of the panelists, I'm, again, I'm not gonna say who it is, very large company said each ERG was getting 250 bucks each a year. And everyone's mouth went, what? Because the lady next to her just said, we get 250,000 a year. You know, I mean, like you talk about like wow. putting your money where your minorities are, right? Like, hello. So that's a big deal. But executive sponsorship, if you are tapping a senior VP and being like, you are going to be the executive sponsor for that ERG and they have no desire or experience, it's not going to, it's not going to work. It's going to be a train wreck. Um, there are other keys to success, of course, you know, you have to train your leaders, they have to know what they're doing, you're talking about volunteers coming out of the organization self identifying as yeah I'm going to lead this group, you got to give them training, you got to give them some tools, you got to give them software, you got to give them stuff that they're not kind of fighting the wild and quite honestly that's what it's been like for the last 30 plus years. So finally, amen, we're starting to see ERGs take, be taken seriously and there's a lot of transition. One of the, the biggest transitions is that we're seeing people being hired full-time 
as overseers to all the ERGs. That's huge. That's huge. Yeah, starting to be like an actual focused role, much like we're seeing with many organizations, bringing someone in DEI to the senior team or the C-suite when it might've been tucked into HR previously or non-existent. We're seeing this being a real role that's taken very seriously now. And and it's cool seeing that with ERGs as well. Alyssa, this has been uh, really interesting, fascinating, such great stuff, all about confidence and then talking about ERGs as well. I've got a few more questions for you in our bonus round, but for now, for people who are listening, who want to get in touch with you or follow more of your work, where is the best place for them to go? Well, there's two URLs. If you want to really focus on confidence, it's AmericanConfidenceInstitute.com. If you're into ERGs, the ERGLeadershipAlliance.com is the better place to poke around. The ERGLeadershipAlliance.com. Awesome. And I know you're pretty active on LinkedIn as well, so people can connect with you, follow you there, and, and find all the information on your profile. Absolutely. Love it. All right. Thank you again for being here, Alyssa. I'll see you in our bonus round. Awesome, Andy. Thank you. All right, that was my interview with Elisa DeVere, all about confidence. What did you think? Was that valuable for you? Was that interesting? Did you take some notes? Are there things that you want to refer back to? Are there things that your colleagues or other people could benefit from? Well, if they could, I'd be honored if you would share this with others. You can post about it on LinkedIn or send it over to your colleagues for them to listen to. And if you haven't left us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast, I'd be honored if you would leave a review as well. And finally, want to remind you this podcast is sponsored by the Talent Development Think Tank community, the number one place where talent development professionals can go to connect, learn, share, grow. We have over 100 talent development professionals in there speaking about topics they care about, sharing challenges, sharing best practices. And we just have great conversations every week in there. We do a live call every Wednesday. And I'm also adding some special niche calls on different days as well. You don't have to attend all the calls, of course, but there's a lot of great value there. And if you have questions about it, be sure to reach out to me. I'd be happy to answer a question and see if it's a good fit. I'm not just going to sell you on it. I want to make sure that we have people in there who are getting value and providing value. The website again is talentdevelopmentthinktank.com and my email is andy at andystorch.com. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you next time. Thanks again for listening to the Talent Development Hot Seat. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to leave us a rating and review on iTunes to help other people find the show. And as always, you can find all of our episodes and tons of free resources on our website, talentdevelopmenthotseat.com. Thank you again. Take care.